Hurricane season officially began yesterday, June 1st, and it's going to last for the next six months. And in its 2013 hurricane season outlook, NOAA's Climate Prediction Center is forecasting an active or extremely active season for us this year. It says there's a 70%, 70% likelihood of 13 to 20 named storms. That means 39 mile per hour winds or higher, of which 7 to 11 could become hurricanes with winds of 74 miles per hour or higher, including three to six major hurricanes, category three, four, or five, with winds of 111 miles per hour. And these ranges are well above the seasonal average. Make you a little nervous living here in Charleston? You know, what do you do when you know something might be coming? What do you do when you know for certain something is coming? And when do you get ready for what you know is certainly going to come? Imminent events should make us urgent people. Imminent events should make us urgent people. And that's what I want us to consider as we come to the word of the Lord this morning from Matthew chapter 10. If you have your Bibles open, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Beginning in verse 1 and then skipping down to verse uh, 5. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. In verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask now that you would fulfill your promise to add your blessing to the reading and hearing of your word. Lord, feed our souls, break your word as bread to us, nourish us, strengthen us, sustain us, Lord for the work that you have called us to do as your people. So we submit ourselves to you now and to the authority of your word. Change us through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Over the course of the last several weeks, we've been in Matthew chapter 10, and we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is real. The kingdom of heaven is for us to experience now in part and fully and completely when Christ returns to establish his kingdom in its fullness forever and ever. The importance of the kingdom of heaven has been highlighted by the fact that that Matthew records the very first words from the mouth of John the Baptist, the very first words coming from the mouth of Jesus when he begins his public preaching ministry as the saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. When Jesus sends out his 12 disciples in the passage we read this morning for the first time to do ministry on their own, he tells them, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. And Mark in his gospel tells us that as the 12 went, they went about telling people that they should repent. And so last week we talked about our need to repent, to turn away from sin, and to turn in faith toward Christ. To make judgments on our lives, the life we were living, 
the lives we are living now, and to turn our backs on whatever we discover in our lives that are not consistent with those who call themselves believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, when should we do that? When is the time for repentance? John and Jesus and the disciples preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Or many translations have, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, they could have gone around preaching, The kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is. And that would be true. It is true. Always has been true. Always will be true. The kingdom of heaven is a reality. But with the coming of Jesus, something new, something different has happened. Now, the kingdom of heaven is, and the kingdom of heaven is near. It is at hand. And so John's preaching, and Jesus' preaching, is not the first step in the kingdom that's going to come someday. Their preaching is the consummation of the kingdom that has now come, has made its appearance, and become very real. And so the preparation time is over. Jesus has ushered in his kingdom. And as a result, urgency, urgency pervades the preaching of John and of Jesus. And because it is now, because the kingdom of of heaven is not just something far off for the future, not only something predicted to happen, but, but may not happen, because it's a reality, changes have to be made. That's the way it always works. Your phone rings. Hello? Hey, Craig, it's Steve. Ah, Steve, good to hear from you. Yeah, well, Bev and I, we are coming to Charleston, and we'd love to see you. Steve, that'd be great. We'd love to see you guys, too. I don't know about you all, but we have friends that we never knew we had after we moved to Charleston. Yeah, man, it's been a long time. Come, come on. Well, well, when do you think you'll be coming? Well, actually, we, we're just 20 miles outside of Charleston, and we were wondering if we could just, like, come now and crash with you guys. Sure, no problem. Come on. Click. Everybody move. The Smiths will be here in 30 minutes, and this house is not ready. It's a wreck. And so with the news that the Smiths' arrival is imminent, that they are at hand, everybody stops what they were doing, And everybody begins to do whatever we have to do to get ready for the Smith's arrival. When we get word, when we get word that a Category 5 hurricane is at hand, all of our behavior is going to change. I guarantee it. Life cannot go on as normal. Because if it does, you won't be prepared. And neither will I. If boards are not on your windows, if food and water are not stored in your home, if your flashlights don't have batteries, you're not prepared for what's coming. And so now, with the coming of Jesus, there is an urgency to the kingdom, to being prepared for it. And the way that we prepare is to repent. And since we can repent, since the possibility of repentance exists for us by the grace and the goodness of God, since he provides a way for us to deal with our sin, since he offers to to make us new and give us a fresh start, we ought then to repent, to turn away from sin, and to turn toward Christ in faith. And when we do, we get Christ, and we get the kingdom of heaven. But we're not talking about only repentance that, that brings us into a relationship with Christ. We talked about last week, we we are talking about daily repentance. Daily. 
turning our backs on behavior. Daily turning our backs on words. Daily turning our backs on thoughts that take us down a path that lead us further and further and further away from Christ. We start down that path. We turn around and we glance and and there's Jesus. That's the time to repent. But we put it off till tomorrow or the next day. And further and further and further we go and we glance back and, and Christ is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And finally we're so far away from him we look back and we can barely see him at all. And then we believe, oh, we are too far gone. It's too late for us to repent. And, and deeper and deeper and deeper into the darkness we go. So when we look, we can't even see the light at the head of the path where we should have repented. But the good news is for us, for me, and for you this morning, is that it's never too late. We can never be so far down the path that Jesus can't see us, that he can't beckon to us to return, and that he will not welcome us when we do return. That's the good news of the gospel. And so the question is, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Many of you were here last week. I preached repentance to myself, preached repentance to you. Did you repent? Or did you keep walking deeper into the darkness? How did your choices change? Your activities? The words you spoke? Or are you putting repentance off for a little while longer? Maybe just one more week. Where do you see urgency in your life? Urgency to, to live by the gospel since the kingdom of heaven is now. If you don't have urgency in your life and I don't have it in mine, we need to ask ourselves, why not? Well, the easy answer is, well, the Spirit didn't give me a sense of urgency. Now, maybe you did. Scripture tells us to quench not the Spirit. Don't put out the fire of the Spirit. And God wouldn't command that of us if it weren't a possibility for our lives, that we could ignore the work of the Spirit and His promptings and His leadings in our life. It's far more likely that your lack of urgency and my lack of urgency is because we're not rightly understanding what the kingdom is, what it holds for us. But most importantly, we're not understanding the king of the kingdom, Jesus, and who he is, and the life that he offers us in him. If, if we took him at his word, and if we truly believed that the life he offers is abundant, as he says it is, then we would urgently pursue that life. If we truly believe that Jesus is good, as he truly is, then we would urgently pursue him. We would urgently repent because the kingdom of heaven is real. The kingdom of heaven is now and I want that kingdom and I want to be close to the king of that kingdom. Urgency in our lives. You know, I went to see the great Gatsby this week. And as I watched on that huge screen, the life of the hundreds of people that were urgently uh, pursuing the life they were pursuing in the roaring 1920s. The glitz and the glamour, the abundance of substances, the reckless abandon of the partying. I knew that I was watching on the screen what prevents us from urgently repenting and urgently pursuing Christ and his kingdom. I knew I was watching what keeps us from urgently telling others about the kingdom because we believe, we believe that our life 
And the kingdom that we are building for ourselves offers more. And I don't know if you've seen the movie, and maybe it's a little over the top in its depiction of the wild oats that we love to sow. But it very dramatically and vividly portrays on the screen the life that we think we must give up to follow Christ. A life of more fun, a life of more freedom, a life of more fulfillment. And that's why it's so common to hear people say, well, I'm going to wait till my deathbed. I want to make a deathbed profession of faith. It's a misunderstanding that my kingdom, my life without Christ is better than life with Christ. That the things that he quote unquote won't let me do are just too good to give up will not repent of them because deep down we believe that the life lived without Christ is not as good as the life that we build for ourselves. But once again, if we truly, truly understood how amazing and how abundant the life that Christ offers is, we would never put off to the end of our lives, to the very end of it, what we could experience right now. If you're not urgent about it, why not? You know, people often argue that life on earth is short. And the decisions that we make in our short lifetime, it's not fair that uh, eternity is determined for us by decisions we make right now. But once you've heard the gospel, how much time do you need to repent? How much time do you need to live your life for Christ? For what reason would you put off doing that? How long do you need? To do that, would 150 years be better? Would it be more fair of God if He said, "Okay, here you have 150 years, longer time to make a bigger mess of your life, and longer years to live without the blessing of being in relationship with Me"? Would that be more fair? Or perhaps we think that we need another chance after we die, and then we know for certain what is. Okay, well then I'll decide. Yeah, but that takes faith out of the equation, doesn't it? Taking God at his word and trusting him to be who he says he is and do what he says he'll do. Romans thirteen twelve says, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of of your prayers. Imminent events make us urgent people. We must not put off repentance to another time. We must be urgent right now about living our lives for Christ. Let's move on and understand that that we seek urgency in, in our own lives because if we don't have a sense of urgency for Christ, in his kingdom, then we won't have that urgency for anyone else. Jesus sent his disciples out in this passage on their first trip to tell others about the kingdom of heaven, to tell them it's at hand. And God sent, and Jesus sent him first to, to God's people, to the Jews, to those who had been waiting, to those who had maybe had fallen asleep, to those who had given up interest in or hope for this kingdom that was supposed to come one day. Well, the preaching of Jesus and the preaching of John, the preaching of the disciples was like cold water. Thrown in their face. Wake up! Wake up from your lethargy. Wake up from your sleep. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand. Now, their message was urgent. Where's our urgent message? 
Where's our sense of urgency to tell others about Christ and his kingdom? About their need to repent so they can be part of that kingdom? In his book entitled, Tell It Often, Tell It Well, Mark McCloskey has a chapter entitled, The Erosion of Urgency. The Erosion of Urgency. And this is what he writes. The first century Christians were well aware of the radical change Jesus had made in their lives and could make in the lives of others. Many had been saved from lives of demon possession, blatant immorality, even sickness and certain death. Regardless of their lifestyles before they came to know Christ, all had a vivid sense of having been rescued from a spiritual condition that would have eventually led to their eternal destruction. They were so convinced of the difference Jesus made that they came to see their former existence outside of Christ as a sort of living death. Sadly, however, their perspective is lacking in today's evangelical circles. To make matters worse, the generation with which we seek to share the gospel is generally not the least bit interested in seeking us out. (laughs) Have you found that to be true? The result is a sort of spiritual truce They don't bother us. We don't bother them. Why are we not taking every step possible to provide for the sharing the gospel with every person possible as soon as possible? We need to answer those questions for our own lives as individuals. To answer those questions for our life as a church. Why do we not feel an urgency to tell the good news of Jesus Christ to others. Since we believe in eternity, do you believe in eternity? Do you? Since we believe in eternity, why would we not do everything we can do to make sure people spend that eternity with Jesus in heaven instead of separated from him in hell? I know what we do. We picture the black-clad, angry, pulpit-pounding, Puritan, Preacher? Or about her? Oh, well, I'm not like that. We said in 11th grade American Lit class, at least that's great it was when I taught it. Talk about American literature, and out comes Jonathan Edwards' sermon. Part of every anthology. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And it's held up to ridicule that people would actually believe, oh, that's not me. No, 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 don't get me confused with those kind of people. I'm too kind. I'm too caring. I'm too loving. I'm too accepting. That's way too harsh. But if we rightly understand the message of the gospel, it's a message of grace and mercy. The message of Jesus and John the Baptist and the disciples is that as you are, as you are, you are not ready for this kingdom to live in it, to to be part of it. And to get ready, to get ready, you must repent. The good news about the message is that anyone can make those preparations. You know, even right now, we we can all repent and submit our lives to Christ. You may say this of a coming hurricane. I can't get any board from my windows. I can't get any nails to hammer the boards up. I went to every store in town. Every single store is sold out. I don't have bread, I don't have water, I don't have batteries. I went to every single store in town. Every single store is sold out. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not ready for the storm that's coming. What am I going to do? But you can't say that about the kingdom of heaven. 
what's required to be ready for the coming kingdom and for the return of the king, it's available and it's accessible to everyone. Repentance of sin and faith in Christ. And so that becomes a message of grace and mercy and compassion because it lets people know that they're not ready for what's coming. But it offers them a way to get ready. The harshness and the cruelness comes from knowing what is coming and not telling, not warning, not saying, get ready, not saying, prepare for the coming kingdom, repent. That's where the harshness and cruelness is. You know, from time to time we have issues with the college students who live in the building across the street parking in our parking lot. And so this is the way it works. I usually see them and I say, you know, this lot belongs to church and we need it at these times. Please don't park here. They drive away and park there again. So a note goes on the car. You know, please call. I put my number. Please call about parking in this parking lot. The note's torn off, the car drives away, they come back, park there again. A second note goes on, saying the same as the first. They come out, the note's ignored, torn off, they drive away, they come back, park a third time. Third note, if you do not call about parking in this space, your car will be booted and or towed. The note comes off, the car is driven off, they come back and they park in the space again, at which time I pick up the phone and I call for a boot or I call for a phone, for, for a tow. And it makes me really sad that they didn't believe me, that they ignored my message, that they ignored my warning. They parked there anyway, and they got towed away. Perhaps you and I don't have a sense of urgency for our lives or for the lives of others because you always believe there'll be more time. There'll be one more note, one more chance. Maybe there won't be. Maybe you think God isn't serious about what he says to us, but he is. And he will act as he said he will act, and he will judge as he said he will judge, and he will come again as he said he will come again. And so we need to urgently tell others about it. Paul writes this in Romans 1.13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I had among the other Gentiles. That's why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. You know, Paul's a little bit (laughs) cray-cray. He's a little bit crazy. You know what? Because he believed that if he acted, that if he preached the gospel, God would work and people would come to faith and that there would be a harvest among him. Paul believed that. And so that made him eager to preach the gospel. Believing God will make us eager preachers of the kingdom of heaven. Trusting that he will act in us and through us as we share the gospel. I'm almost done. This other passage from Isaiah 62. I love this passage. Isaiah 62, 6. I have posted watchmen on your walls, old Jerusalem. Watchmen. Picture it on the walls. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. God's giving us permission here in this passage to come to him over and over and over and over again. 
He's saying, give me no rest. Don't let me rest until I do what I have promised to do, until my kingdom is established. Jesus told the parable uh, of the, the widow who came over and over and over to the judge. Over and over and over, she came asking for justice. Finally, because the, the judge was worn out, he granted her justice. And Jesus ends the parable by asking this question. When the Son of Man comes again, will he find faith on the earth? This kind of faith. The faith that keeps coming back over and over and over again. Asking God. Giving God no rest. Lord, establish your kingdom. Establish your kingdom. Establish it through me. Establish it through this church. Never growing weary. Coming back over and over to the Lord. Crew students, I am thrilled that you are here this summer. Because I bet that there is some sense of urgency in you that caused you to to give up your summer to come to Charleston, to get a job, and then to spend your free time out doing these evangelistic crusades. It's awesome. And I'm going to pray that that sense of urgency continues with you throughout this summer. And I'm going to pray that it spreads out to the rest of us as well. A sense of urgency to communicate the kingdom and the good news of the kingdom of heaven. To not rest. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 2 Thessalonians 3.13, As for you, brothers, never tire of what's doing right. And Hebrews 12.3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we must be urgent about it. Urgent in our living, urgent in our praying, and urgent in our preaching of the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we do ask now that you would, through the power of your Spirit, instill in us a sense of urgency about living our own lives for you in the kingdom right now, and a sense of urgency in our lives to tell others about the good news of the kingdom. And Father, I pray that where we are fooled, where we are deceived, where we are tricked into believing that this life and the things, the great Gatsby things that this life offers are better than life with you. Tricked so much, Lord, that those are the things that we pursue instead of pursuing you. So I pray, Lord, once again this week for repentance among your people, for a great turning to take place as we all turn our backs on behaviors and attitudes and words that are not consistent with those who love you, and that we would turn in faith to you. And Lord, that we would just watch you turn our lives into lives of abundance, and that it would be true for us, as it was true for Paul, that there would be a harvest of people who come to faith, Lord, because we're willing to to give our lives to you and to preaching the good news of the kingdom. Lord, you you have to do the work, but make us faithful to, to partner with you, to open our mouths, to speak and to act, and then come to you asking, pleading, Lord, giving you no rest until you establish your kingdom in us and through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.